Welcome to another Off the Circle. This is Douglas Carr with DK New Media, and today we are talking some excitement with the broadband industry here in Indiana. entrepreneurs and business people learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way off the circle the indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before oh welcome everybody to another off the circle uh nick do you want to introduce yourself to everybody and your company and what you do sure my name is nick thomas and i'm with zyber here in uh indianapolis and we are a uh, advocate of equal access to the internet, and uh, we are a what's called a WIP, which is a wireless high-speed internet provider that we specialize in some specific areas, uh, development with uh, MDU uh, type contractors, and uh, help them uh, with their internet and television needs. And Nick, just uh, for our listening audience, why don't you explain what MDU means? Uh, Multi-dwelling unit, apartment complexes, condominiums, uh, these type of uh, living quarters. Great, thank you. That's incredible. And Frank, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Frank Leonard. I'm with Leonard McDowell. I'm a CEO of my own company and uh, my company focuses on trying to make sure that uh, Indiana tax dollars get spent on Indiana-based companies. So I pr primarily focus on technology and uh, try to make sure that uh, companies are leveraging technology to get the best return on their investment. So uh, I'm, I'm pleased to have Scott Rudd here uh, to help talk about, you know, what the state's doing with their next level up investment that the governor has put forth for next year. And uh, Brett Swanson's a friend of mine, and he was kind enough to introduce me to Scott Rudd. So, Scott, you want to tell us a little bit about your title and your role? Sure. Thanks for having me this morning. Uh, my name is Scott Rudd, and I am Director of Broadband Opportunities for the Lieutenant Governor. And this is a newly created uh, cabinet-level position. And so I'm about oh, two months in, and uh, it was off to the races from the very start with uh, the announcement that the governor was and lieutenant governor are uh, dedicating $100 million towards rural broadband. And so you can imagine uh, on day one uh, being off to the races on that topic. It's, it's been an exciting first 60 days. I'm looking forward to telling you about all about it. Yes. Scott, I know you kind of are from Nashville. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience down there in Nashville? Because I think the big challenge is out there in the rural community trying to get broadband. And, and I think uh, Nashville was a real good success story. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what happened down there. Yeah, Nashville is a, in Brown County, uh, you know, it's a great success story of a, a small rural community totaling about 15,000 people countywide, about 1,000 people in the town of Nashville. And we started off knowing very little about how we could impact a change in terms of broadband investment in our community. So one of the first things we did was to pass a broadband-ready designation resolution through our town council and that we became the first community in the state to be what was called broadband ready that means basically we agreed to do four things and not do four things and and so we did things agreed to do things like expedite permits create a single point of contact 
uh, you know, not discriminate between providers and, and no moratoriums and, and turn around a permit within 10 days. So essentially, you know, create a climate that's conducive to broadband investment. And in doing so, we realized that, um, we were immediately put on the map. We sent out a press release and, and were contacted by providers of all sorts immediately. And it, so it drew a lot of attention to our community. I would encourage other communities to consider doing the same thing. The second thing we did was uh, create a broadband task force. And that task force consisted of community leaders who had resources to bring to the table that we could utilize to uh, impact a change. And, and in, in our community, as many other communities are in a similar boat, we didn't have a single penny to put towards this. And so we had to take what we had available, the resources we had available, and use those resources as wisely as possible to, to make something happen. So the third thing is we created a tax-free zone for the entire county. And so we were the first county in the state to create a tax-free and fee-free expedited permit zone uh, for the entire county and that's that's for future broadband investment and we did that that uh, through a piece of state legislation that had never been utilized before uh, Senate Enrolled Act 560 infrastructure development zones and so uh, it was a very creative way to to simply do something essentially get out of our own way we were we realized we were taxing through the business property tax um, uh, structure this investment that we were so desperately trying to attract and we said what if we could get that out of the way and we did and and uh, as a result of that we were able to attract not only investments from companies like mainstream fiber and smithville but also two major REMC investments that uh, totaled a little over $20 million. Uh, SCI REMC and Jackson County REMC agreed to provide fiber to about 7,500 homes in some of the most remote uh, rural areas of our county, which is a very rural area to begin with. So extremely exciting. Um, so yeah, we're, we were we were we were on uh, we we had to pinch ourselves uh, uh, to 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 uh, make sure we were we were uh, not living a dream, but uh, it was real and it's happening right now. That's yeah. incredible. I, I you know I I wrote uh, our, our article recently and shared it and and uh, I was out there and saw you speak at the at the uh, Hoosier Broadband uh, Summit out there conference. And um, one of the things that I want to get across to our listeners here from a broadband standpoint is we're not just talking about, you know, getting Netflix <laughs> without it flaking out and everything else. It's that it's that now we have, you know, Internet of Things. So we have households with devices. I, I counted in my own. Of course, I'm a geek, but I have 26 devices connected, you know, to the Internet, everything from my garage door opener to my air conditioning system and everything else. And so uh you know, we're we're talking about devices. We're talking about the ability to co-work. You know, so now a rural community can actually have remote tech workers or customer support workers or whatever because they have broadband opportunities. And then, of course, we're talking commerce. You know, the ability to you know pass money back in between uh, for agriculture. It's a huge deal. I shared a. I shared a story that on the Dell Luminaries podcast, we actually talked to uh, the the CIO of Israel, <laughs> and uh, and she told us about a test where they had actually implanted monitors into into uh, dairy cows, and then monitored their nutrition and output, and they were able to actually move the cows based on weather and and what they were eating to increase 
the output of dairy and the quality of the milk. And so, you know, you talk about, you know, this is, this is stuff that's really in a rural scene, it's going to help farmers as well, you know, absolutely increase their output. But the infrastructure has to be there. We already have the scale from, you know, uh, you know, memory and hardware and, and everything else. But that that connectivity was really what what the pipe is that was stopping us, you know, from really going through. So I'm I'm so proud that Indiana is is really seeing the light on this and seeing the opportunity that hey, if you know, if if the Romans were alive today, they'd be they they'd be building broadband infrastructure, right? <laughs> yeah, and I tell you what, Scott, I'm really impressed with the SR560. I think you referred to, and I think uh, there's only been three counties in the state that have taken advantage of that. I can't recall which other counties uh, have taken advantage of that, but you may be able to speak to that. And then also, if you could just give us a little more detail on the collaboration with the REMCs, because in my opinion, that might be a real good model for other counties in the state to mimic. What is RMC, REMC? Rural Electric Member Cooperatives, I believe. So they, they serve, you know, uh, some of the more rural areas of the state with, with electricity. And, and uh, uh, But, yeah, the two other counties that, that passed Senate Enrolled Act 560 uh, are Owen and Morgan, which are also in SCI, REMC's uh, territory. And, and so Brown County passed that first, and, and then that was duplicated in these other areas. I do think, you know, there is an opportunity and, and interest from REMCs to serve other other territories. You know, they were one of the only ones interested or the only one interested in serving some of these more rural areas in, in our county specifically. And so in working with them, we realized we had to really support their efforts. And, and so we engaged every stakeholder we could throughout the community, including the schools, the chamber, the CVB, uh, you know, our, our public safety folks, our town, our county, and, and anyone who thought this was important, realtors particularly, our utilities, you know, these, these things all relate to, to uh, our success as a community. And so we did things like sent joint letters to their boards and strongly encouraging them to invest in Brown County. And, and uh, you mentioned the tax fee, uh, tax free and fee free zones. Um, you know, and the other interesting collaboration we had was with the schools and the community foundation. After we secured the, the commitment to invest in these areas, we realized that it might be difficult for our population, which is about 52% free and reduced lunch uh, school population, to afford that and adopt that. And we knew that adoption was the critical piece. Some of these families are living in, in tough situations. We do have a, an opioid crisis in, in our state, in our community as well. And some of these, these children are home with a single parent or maybe a grandparent. We need to give them equal access to the yeah. same opportunities that, that other children have to climb out of that situation and and, and be a you know, positive contributor to our, to our community. And so broadband is one of those pieces. So the Community Foundation kicked in about $50,000, and this is still under development, but the school said we will identify the families who are in the most need. And so about half of those families will receive a, a, a scholarship, so to speak, that will cover about half of their broadband monthly cost uh, for a year to help those kids get a, get a leg up. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah, and I know another person that was at the uh, uh, broadband summit was Johnny Parks. 
and I know he's heading up the Wabash uh, Heartland Innovation Network, and I know they've got a $40 million grant. So I think it's great to have the state investing in these rural communities, as well as I think Eli Lilly gave the $40 million grant. So I think there's just a huge opportunity to invest in helping these rural communities get that technology. Nick, uh, can you comment any on your experience with your technology and how you might have a, an ability to help some of these rural communities? Well, we're one of our, uh, our, our big products is a fixed wireless product. It's a licensed microwave and millimeter product that, that has, there's obstacles related to building traditional terrestrial fiber networks that this technology uh, rapidly improves you know, the deployment and the ability to use, to, to, to provide that, that end user uh, access to broadband. And sometimes that technology is used as a phase one while those obstacles are being dealt with. And sometimes it's the, the final solution. So uh, fixed wireless and rapid deployment are two things that, that we've had a lot of uh, success with in situations where you know, uh, speed uh, to develop and get to the end user, giving them the access. Is, uh, that's two things that we've been very successful with. And, and Nick, just, uh, you know, for clarification for our audience, again, when you're talking about, uh, you know, a whip type approach, you guys, you guys actually hardwire, you know, to a fiber broadband connection and then beam broadband into you know, a building or, or set of buildings? Yeah, it can be, uh, we've, we can do it in a variety of ways. That's one of the, the great things about what we do, the flexibility. So depending on what the current infrastructure is, uh, we help a lot of existing networks expand rapidly to, to deploy. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to connect to the hard, the, the fiber at some point, and then uh, broadcast that with a point-to-point -point or a point to multi-point connection, depending on what the the end user's application is. And I know, Nick, you commented earlier on uh, how your technology helps the multi-dwelling unit owners. And I think you recently attended a summit up at Purdue where smart cities seems to be a big buzzword. Can you comment on uh, the huge investment and the vision that uh, Purdue Research Park has up there? Yeah, it was, uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not, that new to Indiana, but I've learned so much uh, about Indiana. I was invited um, up there uh, to participate in the Discovery Park. Uh, there was a, uh, a workshop panel. Uh, David Broker is the chair of the Discovery Park uh, project up there, which they're taking a 200-acre uh I think it's the northeast end of the campus and creating a smart city. And I was there with some of the smartest minds uh, on the planet, uh, the engineers from Purdue and people from around the globe attended and discussed in a two-day period of the future technology and what Purdue, the engineers and the leaders out there want to be a leader and technology and a leader in showing how innovation with broadband and other technologies is, is going to be making life different and better. And it was a real fascinating thing to listen to, be a part of, 
and uh, I was it was it was an eye opener, and I really appreciated uh, being invited by David Broker and, and and being a part of the discussion and hopefully help them in the future with their broadband needs and at least from a consultancy basis give them some ideas showing things that we've done that's worked and and also showing things that we've tried that we thought would work and wouldn't that that they may want to uh, not do but it was a uh, it was very very exciting and, and, and again, an eye-opening experience of future technology that's that's right on the horizon and, and about to get in everybody's daily life. And y'all were mentioning about the, uh, the agriculture uh, applications that broadband offers. I mean, we were seeing uh, technology in the crops that they were talking about the cows earlier. You guys were, well, they're going to be able to real-time collect data on harvesting time if they're having an infestation of anything. It was just really amazing some of the technology that will be uh, involved in the Discovery Park project at Purdue. Yeah, Nick, and I know originally your company was founded there in Hawaii, and I think uh, David Broker made the analogy that you were real successful connecting the network with the Hawaiian Islands. And similarly, you've got the challenge here in Indiana of connecting all the cornfields with the network. So. Uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully your technology can be part of the solution going forward for these rural communities. Yeah, I think uh, there's no question that uh, we have really been using this the last uh, six years in Hawaii. We knew uh, a long time ago, we entered the space uh, after the deregulation. Uh, we were in the shared tenant services space where we were providing the the old PBX switches for a voice solution, and we evolved. And probably the biggest thing that helped us was the the, re, the wireless technology being able to overcome the security issues that people had, uh, and we developed some security protocols for that. And then the capacity we've seen just rapidly grow from what it was six years ago to today to where the wireless technology can in fact uh, do what terrestrial does for most applications. And that's a big, that's a big shift uh, in our industry just because again, there's so many obstacles when you get into permits and construction and, and things that uh, a WIP provider can, can get around a lot of those obstacles and rapidly develop and deploy uh, a product. And that's that's what we've uh, really focused our efforts on. So, yeah, I know. I know, uh, I know. Even for a fact that we we've uh, had that technology downtown as well, uh, because yes. some of the some of the buildings in here downtown Indianapolis only had copper connectivity, and were severely limited. And so um, there's a, there's in fact there's a building on the circle that has the has a whip so which is pretty <laughs> which is pretty cool and and to your point you know what it provides is a you know is a, a guarantee of you know security and availability you know that that uh something like a you know uh cellular hubs won't won't provide someone right well scott exactly. let's get back to you a little bit in terms of some of your priorities and maybe what you're hoping to accomplish in the next uh the rest of this year and kind of what your priorities are for next year Sure. You know, one point I, I want to get across is, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of, of focus 
and a lot of excitement around the $100 million that the administration announced. There's a lot of excitement about, around some upcoming uh, USDA funding that's going to go towards rural broadband coming wow. from the federal level, about $600 million nationwide. Uh, the Office of Community and Rural Affairs recently released some planning grants for broadband readiness, and about five communities in the state have been awarded that. So there's this excitement focused on that public investment. And I think it's important for communities and listeners to note that that investment, while be it incredible, and, and quite frankly, I think the, the, the administration's announcement of $100 million is, is possibly the largest in the nation. Wow, uh, that's it's incredible. A, it's a big deal. That piece is but a small segment of the work and, and, and investment that needs to occur in order to solve this problem. And, and the real chunk of that investment lies in the hands of providers. And those providers have been investing hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in our state. Uh, you've seen some incredible announcements recently of Indianapolis and other cities in, in Indiana becoming some of the first 5G-capable communities in the, in, in the nation. And that, that is an incredibly exciting uh, technology that is is still developing and, and and will affect these rural areas. And so I think our rural investment today that, that might be fiber or other broadband technology will also help with the exp expediting of that 5G technology to those areas in the future as well. So the goals moving forward, I think, primarily will be to engage communities in, 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 in helping them determine what success means to them in terms of this investment and helping them understand some of the regulatory climates that they can they can they can foster and and facilitate some of those conversations which with the key player here which is the providers that's incredible I, and it really is a race right now right if if indiana can stay ahead of other states there's no doubt that you know with with e-commerce growing you know double digits every single year that people are going to be moving here because the latency and 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 everything else they're going to save millions and millions of dollars if they're sitting on a good infrastructure it's exciting i think you know just speaking with a, a ball state uh a person this morning, Dennis Trinkle, and he was pointing out that, you know, rural Indiana struggles today with with hanging on to its population, and 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 that that challenge will only be exas exacerbated by the lack of five G ten years from now. Yeah. And so, the more we can do now to make driverless cars and and, and other IoT technologies possible in in rural areas, uh, the better off we are. Well, I, I, no doubt, and and you know, being a, a, you know, a company owner in downtown Indianapolis right now, I look forward to the day that I can move out to the country and run my business remote. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, and I don't have to worry about traffic and parking tickets and everything else. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Scott, I know one of the attendees at the Broadband Summit was Sharon Nagel. Could you comment on her role in some of this rural legislation as well? Yeah, Sharon, Representative Nagel, has been really instrumental in, in pushing forward the agenda of rural broadband in Indiana. I know her territory, her, her uh, region is severely impacted by the lack of broadband. And one, one county in particular, Benton County, is one of, the, one of the, the hardest hit in Indiana. I just had a meeting yesterday, speaking of wireless 
wireless providers with a, a wireless provider in that area and learned that they are about to roll out a countywide wireless solution that will will serve the majority of that county. So very exciting development there. Um, wireless can be deployed in these areas that are, are primarily flat and, and don't have a lot of trees and vegetation that, that can, can uh, conflict with the signal and with the right technology in the right place that can, can make a huge difference. That's incredible. Um, where do people go? For, you know, I, I'm guessing that you've already probably touched base with every county, right? Or uh, trying to? Still working on it. Still yeah, working on yeah. it? Yeah. Well, you're how many months in? Uh, just, just 60 days. Yeah. <laughs> you're not done yet? No. <laughs> yeah. We're lucky to get them here on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so for, uh, you know, for people listening and, you know, both business owners to contact their civic leaders and then, uh, and then people within their, uh, you know, their, their county government and everything, who, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is probably to uh, email me. My email is srudd at lg.in.gov, so s-r-u-d-d at lg.in.gov. There's also some great information on the Office of Community and Rural Affairs website. It's, it's kind of a dashboard of things that communities can do. They, on the website, we have uh, samples of, of ordinances that other oh, communities fantastic. have passed. The Broadband Ready designation template is on there uh, in, in a variety of, of information on funding sources. So I would encourage folks to, to go to that website. And, and, and for everybody listening, we'll absolutely put that link in the show notes uh, at offthecircle.com. And, uh, and Nick, for, for folks, I, 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 was trying to, I was trying to think in my head of the, uh, there was a notion in the military, it was called like the last mile. And it was, and it was basically, you know, you, you could get up to all the way up to something, but then for the last mile, you needed a different technology. And it sounds like the whip and, and what your company is doing is that last mile, uh, helping people either transition or, or providing them a means of, of secure, you know, uh, consistent broadband. Um, where, where can people get a hold of you, Nick? You can find us online, uh, zyber.net, that's X-I-B-E-R.net, and that's going to drive them to, they're able to uh, fill out a contact form there if they're interested in a product. Uh, the it's, it's You're going to find and learn everything you, you can about our Indiana-based company at that, uh, at that URL. And uh, the last mile is definitely what... Uh, what gets us in a, a lot of proposals, but we do mid-mile development. We do uh, uh, a variety of network uh, applications. It just depends on the needs of the client and what they're looking for. We come in and uh, give them a uh, we we give them really a uh, a study on what they their options are related to uh, using WIP technology. And so, the last mile is absolutely it's been the challenge. For, for most everybody, uh, and we definitely have a solution for that. But the mid-mile development, and like you guys just mentioned, there's certain areas uh, agriculturally where, again, flat, no trees, stuff like that are, are ideal for, for a whip solution. For sure. That's fantastic. Yeah, Nick, I know you've got experience both with the Hawaii market. I know you've also been in Texas. Can you also maybe just briefly comment, Nick, on uh, how you look at the Indiana market compared to some of the other places you've been in terms of the number of providers? You know, we 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 operate in 18 different states, 
uh, cutting our teeth in Hawaii, we learned a lot about what our technology could do. And we, we, uh, noticed the Midwest specifically still only has your ILEC, which is the baby bell and, uh, your, your cable provider. Uh, there's a, there's, there's a, a few players like us, but not nearly as down in the, the Texas market at all. But I also find Indiana is very innovative, very aggressive as what this whole, uh, show is about in, in the deployment and, and taking the technology. But yeah, there's definitely because of the tier two, you know, your tier one markets, New York, LA, Houston, Dallas. Obviously, those markets are attracting a lot of providers into where the tier two markets, there's been a slow development beside your traditional providers. But that's why we're in Indiana, because we uh, we like that type of climate and we do well um, in that climate. And I think Indiana, again, probably the, the most aggressive state I know of from the government side to promote uh, the the, the capital and, and, and to really get Indiana ahead because without, you know, we find that our product is now almost on the same level as electricity. As far as a business operator, you have to have data, you have to have high speed uh, data to compete in most industries today. And without that um, you're behind. And I think it's, it says a lot about Indiana to be as aggressive and proactive and really focusing on this as a as, as something that needs to be done to help the economy and and just Indiana to stay ahead uh, of of the game related to technology and the needs of the people. Yeah, those are excellent comments, Nick, and uh, I think it speaks volumes to the governor and the lieutenant governor's commitment to appoint Scott Rudd to you know his position you know, to have a director of broadband to begin with. Uh, I'd be surprised if many states have that position. But uh, we've certainly been pleased to have Scott be on our podcast today. And I want to thank you and Scott for being here today and, and also you, Nick, for joining us from Hawaii and for getting up so so freaking early. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, and nope. Anna, before the podcast ends, I have to thank my co-host. I have to say that officially, co-host uh, Frank Leonard for joining. And uh, and I do want to give a shout out. This this podcast wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for our our my clients, you know. And Frank and I share an in- incredible client, and that's Lifeline Data Centers. And uh, if you're talking about connectivity and broadband and 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 everything else, um, Frank and I were out at. Lifeline data centers at the Eastgate Mall facility. They've got they've got uh, the Henry Street and then one coming up in Fort Wayne as well. And uh, we were surprised to find out that basically all of Netflix and Google runs their bandwidth through their facility for Central Indiana. And um, and uh, Alex and Rich have built just one heck of a, a company out there. And and uh, they're truly truly. Uh, pioneers in that industry, I'd say as well. That you know, when people when people first started the uh, the data center industry, you know, they were buying refrigerant refrigeration systems from restaurants because there was no industry for you know refrigeration and data centers. And Alex and Rich went and hired engineers and and built their own to keep 
you know, cost down and keep uh, efficiency high and everything else. And so uh, I just want to shout out to those guys that uh, I appreciate you as a client. And uh, if anybody's looking for co-location, cloud location, now FedRAMP, which is top secret, you know, cloud uh, for corporate or government, uh, give Frank a call and, uh, and he'll take care of you. Yeah, you certainly want to make sure you've got broadband and, and have the ability to get information, but you certainly want to keep it safe and secure. And so that's what Lifeline can help you do. So so thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review. Off the Circle is recorded at DK New Media's podcast studio at the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis.